I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John and chapter 6. And we'll pick up where we left off last week. And uh, we'll read through, let's see, about from verse 22 through verse 40. That's a, a good chunk of Scripture. It'll take us a few moments, but it will be worth our time. And then we'll ask the Lord's help to understand it and obey it. But let me begin reading as you follow along. John chapter 6, verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father hath set his seal. Verse 28. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And we'll save that last few verses until we get to them in just a moment. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask for your help. And may we always do so when we open your word and hope to understand it. And then, Lord, we ask that you'll give us what is necessary to be obedient to what we see. Lord, we, we want to be good students. We know you're the master teacher. So we ask for your help even with things like focusing our attention and giving us patience and giving us the desire, the actual want to know what this means and the desire to actually want to be obedient to it. So we ask for these things, knowing that we don't bring them to the table. You'll have to give them to us. For us to do this right. So Lord be glorified in our time together. Studying your word. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well I don't do this a lot. But every now and then. I feel the need to give somewhat of a. Heads up. For what's to come. As far as what we'll be studying. Uh, we've already had two messages. In this sixth chapter of John. And there's going to be five more. And that includes today. That's seven messages in one chapter. That's a lot. Uh, but it's because, and you'll see this as we move through, that the, the 
bigger portion of this chapter has to do with a discussion between Jesus and a large group of people that happens as a result of a huge miracle that he did where he fed 5,000 men and their families, probably pushing 20,000 people. And the discussion goes back and forth where he'll say something and the people won't really understand what he said. And they'll ask a question to make sure they've got what they're after. And then he, taking their question that has little to do with what he's already said, says something else. And with each time, the things that he says get more and more specific. And at the same time, they become more and more offensive to them. And by the end of the chapter, they're going to be on completely different sheets of paper. And many that saw him do that miracle are going to go away from him not to follow him ever again. And at the end, we're going to see that even he will ask his disciples, Are you going to go too? Is this the end of the road for us? You now know what I'm about and you don't like that. Uh, which, in so many cases, that's what happens with people all over the world even today. Once they get a clear understanding of what the gospel involves, they're not interested in that. It's no different than, say, the rich young ruler who heard what Jesus had to say and he walked off. But because of the way the conversation goes... Things are repeated and the discussion takes turns and then it comes back on itself to circle back to certain ideas. The whole passage reminds me of a barrel of fish hooks all tangled up. So it's going to take us some time to detangle these things. Uh, seven weeks actually. And next week what we're going to do is focus in, in a more expanded view of the verses that we stopped at today. So we'll read them at the end today and we'll come back to them next week. And then the week after that is a communion Sunday. And this talking about the bread of life is going to fit nicely with our understanding of communion. So we'll have that layer the uh, week after the next week. And then the week after that on the 13th, I'll be away on vacation. And uh, the, the friend of mine that filled in in May uh, that together with myself, taught the Gospel of John in a Sunday school setting in Virginia. He's going to pick up after the communion. He's already taught through this. I quit teaching John when you hired me. And we went through uh, Titus, and then we picked up in John, and then we went through Judges over the summer, and we're just now getting to about the place where I stopped when I moved here. So he'll pick up there then, and then on the 30th we'll have one more from chapter 6, and that's a surprise. And we'll pick up on that when I get back. I'm not going to tell you. So don't ask. But all of that, and here's what I hope happens. You're going to have lots of chapter 6 taught by different people at different times in different settings. All layered on top of one another. And I hope with all those passes, even from different perspectives, the message of chapter 6 will be understood and it'll stick. And we'll know what it means. And we'll know what's required of us. At least that's my prayer. And I hope you'll be praying with us too. And pay attention to these. And if you miss one, get to the live stream look at it again. I guess we'll have to say this to the rest of the group who missed today. Hey, you missed the setup. You have to go back and look at it on the the archives. But John spends the first three verses of what we read on setting up the story. The first part had to do with the feeding of the 5,000. And then later that night, the second part had to do with the walking on the water. Well, this is the next morning, the day after the feeding of the 5,000. 
So we read that on the next day. There's the time stamp there in verse 22. And what we've got is the crowd of people that were fed with the two loaves and the, the uh, five barley loaves. Actually, it's two fish, five barley loaves. Um, on the other side of the lake, they're still there. They'd come to find Jesus, but the disciples left in the night, found Jesus walking on the water. Well, the people that ate the loaves get up the next morning, and they realize there's only one boat on this side of the lake, and we saw the disciples get in that boat and go to the other side. But nobody saw where Jesus went. And it says as much there. They don't know where he is. And there were other boats that came from Tiberias later, and some of those people got into those boats and went to the other side. The disciples, we figure, are over there. We don't know where Jesus is, so our best bet is to find the disciples. We might find Jesus. That's exactly what they do. And apparently, it wasn't very hard for them to find Jesus because when we get to verse, uh, let's see, 25, they found him on the other side of the sea. And the first question that they ask him is kind of interesting. They ask him, when did you get here? And we don't know exactly why they would ask when. Some of us might ask, how did you get here? Did you walk? Did you swim? There wasn't a boat. None of them know that he walked on the water. Then he got in the boat together with the disciples in the middle of the lake. And they went to the other side of the sea. So that they didn't ask how knows that they don't know what John told us last week. But they ask when. And then it's interesting what Jesus says in response. And this shouldn't surprise us. Look at verse 26. Jesus answered, and he gives the truly, truly. That means he's heightening the importance of what he's about to say by saying the double truly. This is true. This is true. I say to you, you're seeking me. That's obvious. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He doesn't answer their question. They say, when did you get here? He turns around and tells them why they are there. So they come up with a, when did you, he, he blocks that goal and then says, why you're here is this. And it's not what you think. And it's for the wrong reason. Now you tell me, if Jesus is building his brand and he's hoping to get more likes and retweets and thumbs up, is this how you Open the morning session with a group who came to hear you by telling them, you're here for the wrong reason. You think because of the sign. Actually, you're here because you like the food and you hope to get more. That's kind of a jab, isn't it? It is a sharp word. And what he's doing here is recognizing their real motivation and correcting it by telling them to change their thinking. And the way he tells them to change their thinking is verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes. It's easy enough to understand what that would be. That would be two loaves, or five loaves and two fish. But for the food that endures, which would be something altogether different. And that to eternal life. So the food that endures is connected to eternity, eternal life. And then he says, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. So here's what we'll do. We'll start making notes and marking patterns here. We'll, we'll need to do this along the way. If we wait until we get to the end, I think some of these thoughts will fall out of one of our ears and it won't all make sense. 
So let's make points as we go. But so far, what has happened, they found him on the other side of the sea. They ask him a question. He blocks the question and tells them that they're there for the wrong reason. Then he corrects that wrong reasoning by saying, Don't work for the food that perishes. Work for the food that lasts and is eternal. And that's the stuff that the Son of Man will give to you because God has set his seal of approval on him. So you can probably put yourself in the shoes of the multitude that found him that day and they probably have a blank look on their face. Well, what happened here? And you started off with a softball. When did you get here, Jesus? And what we've got was a dressing down. There's something wrong with the reason why we're here. And we're looking for the wrong thing and working for the wrong thing. And the right thing will be given to us by the Son of Man who God has stamped with His seal of approval. Well, that's where we are. So what is Jesus saying by what He's saying here? First words were corrective. You're here for the wrong reasons. But then he lays out his first point by drawing a separation between. Pay attention here. Write this down if you need to. Two types of food and two types of life. They're right there in that verse. Food that perishes is one kind and food that endures is another kind. But then he mentions this eternal life here. And that comes with enduring food. So, we don't see the words here, but it's implied that there's also a more temporal type of life, a temporary life, and then an enduring life, an eternal life. So, you've got those two things, and they're separated from each other. Does that make sense? Two types of food, one that perishes, one that lasts. Two types of life, one that perishes, one that lasts. Temporal versus eternal, or lasting versus perishing. And then we're given this reference to a seal which the Father's given to the Son who will provide that food that endures. One type, not the other. The Son of Man will give that to you. Hang on to that because we'll use that later. It's not something that they work for. It's something that's given to them. That's a big difference. So a food that perishes, a food that endures, a life that's temporal, a life that's eternal. And what we're going to see from this point on is a movement from those two kinds of life and food that he's going to carry with him all through his discussion with them even though it seems like they're all over the map Jesus is not going to change what he's saying he'll use the same type of words the same type of of images to say the same thing there's two types don't work for the one type make sure you work for the other type or make don't bought don't spend your life getting something that will perish Spend your life getting something that will last, is what he's going to be saying. Making that distinction between material and spiritual. Talking about spiritual food versus material food. Now, I just added two words there. I don't mean to confuse you, so let's make sure we're on the same sheet of paper. What Jesus is saying, that even if you use uh, either of those words, think of the food that they held in their hands... Barley loaves and pickled fish. Remember that? And Jesus said to them, what? Gather up the leftovers so they don't perish, right? Because if you leave those leftovers sitting there, they're going to go bad, right? That's food that perishes. It's physical, material food. It's made out of molecules, right? It's material. And it'll, it'll go away. And then there's spiritual 
That's what Jesus is going to be talking about. When he gets into the part of the bread of life, he's not talking about material food made out of molecules. He's talking about spiritual food that feeds us eternally. Okay? That's the big difference between these two groups. And we'll need to make sure we know what's going on. The whole time he's talking spiritual, and unfortunately the whole time these people are thinking material. They're thinking bread you put butter on. While he's thinking about words of God. Spiritually speaking. Something that lasts forever. So we could massage this a bit more. Spiritual food versus material food. Spiritual life versus material life. Make sure we're all on the same sheet of paper. Spiritual is eternal. Material is temporal or temporary. The spiritual lasts forever. The material will perish. How much of our time do you think we spend in one group as opposed to the other? It might be a good exercise right now. Are we more materialistic beings or are we more spiritual beings? Now when we're in church on a Sunday, we're mostly talking about spiritual things, right? Um, That's just the nature of a worship service. We're worshiping a spirit, which is God, right? And He doesn't have a body. That's what we learn in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. But I'm pretty sure we walked in here in physical bodies, wearing physical clothing, breathing physical air. And after I'm done, and you hope it won't be long, we'll go eat physical food, right? And it seems like our lives just are wrapped around the physical. Though there's something in us that's spiritual, especially in our relationship with a God we've never seen or heard audibly in the physical realm. So we have both as part. We have a spirit, but we also have a body. And what I'm going to propose here that I think is obvious from this text is we're not a lot different than these people who seem to be stuck in the material world. They just think that way. They talk that way. They reason that way. And it's hard for us. It'll always be hard for us to think spiritually. We have no reference point for things like that. We're, we're material, physical, temporary beings. And each of us, unless the Lord comes, will have a funeral at the end of our temporary life, right? And we wrap a lot of value and worth and, and, and just really our, our lives are built around these things. How many of you have already figured out what you're going to eat for lunch today? How many of you started working on it already? It's on the stove or in the oven on a timer. Some of you. You're playing your cards. I'm seeing it on your face. How many of you didn't think about it, but you're thinking about it now? And hopefully we can get to the restaurant before somebody else gets there. We do that. And it seems to be food. And maybe the older we get, we have these taste buds that have their preferences. And really... It can be a a, a lot of joy or we can get really bent out of shape if somebody messes with our food or where we eat it or how we eat it and all these things. I spent hours yesterday working on what would be a side dish for dinner last night. It's something I've been working on and uh, it's the second time I've cooked them. But my birthday was Friday so family and I went to uh, the state farmer's market and there was a spot along that long line of vegetables that I pointed to my wife said, I'm going to come back and get that after we eat at the seafood place. 
you know, at the farmer's market. So when I came back, I stopped midway and got a half a ham hock. And then I got me the prettiest bunch of collards you've ever seen. And I started on them before lunch, boiling down that meat in the hock. And I got that soft and shredded it all up, put it back in there. And added all I need. You've got to wash those collards good because there's sand all over them, right? Cut the stems out. You know the whole thing. I spent all day on them. And it was worth it too. It was good. And we even cooked them down a little bit more after dinner to make sure I got that liquid in there that some of you affectionately call what? Pot liquor. And it's got to be right. These are material things that God gave them to us. And he expects us to enjoy them. They're, they're gifts of his to us. But then he says something like he told this multitude. Don't spend all your time working for that. Because that's not all there is. All of that will go away. And then there's eternity. And if you miss it, that'll be the end of it. That's what he's saying right here. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So, they say in verse 28, in response to what we see in verse 27, they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So, he's now just told them what not to do. Don't work for the material. And he told them that the Son of Man will give you what you need. And their response is, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? They fixated on one word in there that he said, and that was work. And that makes sense to us because we're materialistic people. And honest people, uh, sincere people today... Um, there are some people who don't know the difference between right and wrong, but most of us do. And the sincere people who fill church pews basically ask the question like this. How are we supposed to work out this Christian spiritual thing we call a relationship with Jesus? How do we do it? What boxes do we check? What rules do we keep? Because we're materialistic. We, we want to look at it that way. But Jesus answers them, this is the work of God... You want to know what the work is? It's God's work. It's not your work. And what is it? That you believe in Him who He sent. That's verse 29. So let me try to detangle this. Jesus answers in verse 29 what they ask in verse 28 by putting what He'd already said in verse 27 another way. What He told them in verse 27 was the Son of Man will give you spiritual food. Not loaves and fish, but spiritual truth. And it's going to be eternal. Now in verse 29, he says, The work that you're asking about what you need to do to get the spiritual food, you don't do anything to get it. Because it's a gift I'm going to give you. And what you're supposed to do, verse 29, The work is God's work, and that is that you believe. Now some people might want to really... Zero in on verse 29 and say, all right, which is it? This is the work of God that you believe. Because believe is, is a work, isn't it? If I have to bring belief to the table. That's kind of mysterious, isn't it? It almost sounds like not works, but by faith. As Paul described it in the New Testament. 
So what he's saying is it's not something you can do materially. It's something you'll have to do spiritually. And spiritually speaking, you'll need me and I'll be the one that gives you what you need. So the pattern here is that these people are instinctively looking at things materialistically, temporarily, while Jesus is speaking of things spiritually and eternally. Do it this way. Jesus is talking up here the whole time. And everybody standing there is listening down here. Back to what we talked about last week. You ever feel like your life at church and your life trying to understand this is not unlike your life with your kids as you try to raise them up and they make mistakes. Sometimes they absolutely rebel. But just like your children don't just wake up one morning grown. It might feel that way, but it takes the same amount of time as it does anyone to grow and to mature. Same thing is with this. To go from materialistically and sinfully predisposed to eternally thinking and on your way fit for eternity with God forever is going to take some time. These are materialistically minded people. Jesus is speaking spiritually and they're... We shouldn't be amazed that they're having difficulty getting on the same page. We do the very same thing. He's talking up here. They're listening down there. The question is, how do we work this out? His answer is, believe in me. We want to say, you sound more and more like Yoda. What are we supposed to do with this? Believe in you? What does that even mean? It means believe in him. That he is who he says he was. Now, this isn't something we haven't seen before and in John. You remember with Nicodemus? Jesus says, you must be again born. What does he mean by that? A new birth spiritually. How did Nicodemus answer? Well, I was supposed to get back in my mother's womb and gum out again? That's material, right? Jesus is talking spiritual. They're not on the same page. What about the woman at the well? Hey, I've got living water. He's talking spiritually. What does she say? You don't have a bucket. That's material, right? Now, they get on the same page later, but after some discussion. Uh, What about the official son who was sick, came to Jesus? You need to heal him. He's at the point of death. And Jesus stops everybody and says, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. You think, that's not the thing you would say to a man who's hurting. His son's about to die. And then he says, you go, he'll be fine. But again... He's talking about the signs that point to Jesus as the Son of God, where they're just thinking in terms of physical bodies that are dying. Same thing. What about the man at the pool of Bethesda? He says, you want to be made whole? And he's saying, you want to be made whole spiritually? And the guy says, I don't have anybody to get me into the pool. The pool's magical and I can't get in. It's physical. It's the whole thing. And how many times do we sit in church... And we think that the whole exercise is to help me with my job or to help me with my money or to help me with my marriage or to help me with my kids, all of those material. Or to help me with my soul and my sins against an almighty God who has shown favor and decided to save me. That's spiritual. But we get them confused. So the back and forth continues in verse 30. We'll we'll pick up the pace here. So they said to him, what sign do you do that we may see and believe? You know, they're from the show me state, right? Seeing is believing. 
in the scriptures, it's not that way. At the end of the book with Thomas, Jesus is going to say, Blessed is those who believe and have not seen. But they're still thinking seeing is believing. What work do you perform? So when he says that God's given him a stamp and this work that God will give you, you believe in him who sent me. Okay, well, if you say you're the one that God has sent, well, show us something. Do us a trick. As if feeding them with you know, loaves and fishes wasn't enough. Look what they say in verse 31. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, we don't know exactly what's going on here, but I think it's not far of a stretch to suppose that maybe some of these men overnight sat down and went, I think we've got something here. Never seen a miracle like this, and it fits with things in the Old Testament. How are we to know if this is really the guy? I mean, did you see those fish break apart? I didn't see it. I just know it started with little and we had way too much. We need further evidence. What's a good thing we could ask for? So what they're doing here is they're asking him to be better than Moses. Our fathers ate man in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven. So in verse 30, it might make us think, when they say, see and believe, do a work to perform, that they might be thinking somewhat spiritually. And then uh, verse 30 actually kind of dashes any of those hopes because they go right back to material mode. Our fathers ate what? Manna. Manna was a physical food. We don't know what it was made out of. In fact, it's very interesting. Do you know how do you spell manna in Hebrew? You don't even use any letters. Just punctuation marks. A question mark and an exclamation point. Because that was the name of it. Manna definition is, what is it? We don't even know what it is. But he gave it to them for 40 years and it sustained them in the wilderness. And what these guys are asking Jesus, the day after he fed 20,000 people, remember that's the, the capacity of the PNC arena, they say, well, you know what? Moses did that very thing, not for 20,000, but for a whole nation, and not for a day, but for 40 years. Can you do that? Imagine the audacity of asking Jesus to up the ante. But that's basically what they've done. Manna was material food. It was perishable food. In fact, you remember the story, what happened if you gathered too much manna and left it overnight? It started to stink and bred worms. The, the whole, it wasn't the bread he's talking about. He's talking about spiritual, eternal food. Me. I will set you up for eternity. I will be your food spiritually. I will be your savior on a cross. I'll be your forgiveness. I'll do what you can't do for yourselves. I'll reestablish a relationship with my father for you. Couldn't happen any other way without me paying for your sins. I'm your food is what he's saying over and over again. And they go, can you give us some manna? No, I can't give you some manna. They up the ante. Verse 23, or 32 rather. Look at it. Jesus said to them, here's the second, truly, truly, this is important. I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven. He corrects their, their wrong assumption there. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Which means the manna was false bread, material bread. The true bread is eternal bread. 
and it comes from heaven. For the bread of God, that's the good stuff, eternal stuff, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, even if the crowd isn't tracking with Jesus right now, the reader of John's gospel should be because we've already seen that Jesus had come down from heaven. We'd already seen that he was the life of the world, the light of the world. These are terms John's already been using and many times already. We know what's going on, but the crowd doesn't seem to know what's going on. Because when we get to verse 34, they say, Sir, give us this bread always. In other words, let's have it. They're still in material mode. It's lunchtime, Jesus. We want some food. Now, do you remember at the beginning of John, we talked about the signs that John would choose, and there would be seven of them. And he didn't call them miracles. He called them signs. Signs is a, is a more specific word for miracle. Miracle is something we can't do, and we're amazed when we see it. But a sign means that the miracle is pointing to something. We talked about on 40, the sign for Fuqua Verena that I passed all my life on the way to the beach. I'd never been here until a couple of years ago. And I found out that what that sign points to is a lovely town 14 miles away. To just be happy and delighted and excited about a green sign on 40 would be to insult Fuqua Verena. Fuqua Verena is a lot better than the sign that represents it. But these people with those loaves in their hands that they'd eaten the day before and had been digested and the energy spent, they want more food, but they're still infatuated with the sign, but not what it's pointing to, and that's Jesus. And that he's way better bread that can feed them forever. They just don't get it. So what does he say in verse 35? Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He finally just puts it right out there as blunt as he knows how. I am the bread of life. Notice he's taken those two kinds of bread, food, two kinds of life, and put them together, bread and life. And he's eternal. So he's talking about the good bread and the good life. Eternal life and eternal bread. He's him. Now he's very kind with this group of people. I don't know that we would be. Have you ever been teaching your kids something and they just don't get it? And you say it over and over and over and over again and you snap. You say something ugly. Or maybe you're the guy who's tasked with uh, the, the OSHA stuff at work. All right, y'all, I'll be here at a certain time. We've got to go through the OSHA stuff. We've got to get certified. You've got to listen. Spray this stuff in your eyes at the right time if this happens and that. And it's just boring and nobody wants to hear it and nobody's listening. And you almost get to a part where you want to say, I've told you this this way and this way and this way and this way over here and this way over there. It's this way, you dummy. Don't you get this? But that's not what Jesus does. He doesn't insult us. He doesn't twist arms. He's not a smart aleck. He just says, I can't say it any plainer than this. I am the bread of life. Don't work for that other type of bread. It won't last. But I will. Verse 36. Then he gives us this, and it's troubling to hear. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. We don't know when he said this, but he did say this at some point, and he's repeating it. You have seen me. You've seen me, but you don't get me. You don't believe yet. 
And you're almost left with this going, if people who saw Jesus in his own earthly body speaking truth as plain as he's been speaking and they don't get it, then what hope do we have so far removed from him with a book is the only connection we've got to him. How are we going to get it if they don't get it? It, it, It's kind of troubling to think of it that way. Do I get it? If, If he was here, would he tell me, you've seen me, but you're still not, you're still in material mode. You're not in spiritual mode. So we want to say, how can this be? Well, here, let me try to help you think through this another way. And this might work for you. It might clear it up. It might make it more muddy. That's not my intention. But we talked about two kinds of food and two kinds of life, an eternal life and a temporal life. Maybe it'd be better to think of it in terms of life and instead of in terms of food, just for a moment. What do you suppose that crowd wanted when they were standing there? Maybe it wasn't food that they were all about. Maybe food's just what they're thinking about. And that was the big story from the day before. But what happened after the feeding of the 5,000 that caused Jesus to hide on the other side of the lake from that group of people? They wanted to make him king. And why did they want him as king? To make their lives more miserable? To make their lives better? Hey, him as our king and feeding us like he did is a life enhancement. This will be a better life. But it's still a materialistically line of thinking. Not with food, but with life. You remember the prodigal son? Did he leave his daddy's home to ruin his life or to enhance his life? Now, we know what happened, but what was he thinking? I want this money so I can have better clothes, better shoes, and better stuff, nicer things, jewelry, and plenty of food, plenty of drink, and plenty of company. And that's what I'm going to go do. I'm going to go find a better life. But it was all temporary. Now what happened while he was gone from home? Did he find any of that? He found out there was none of that. In fact, he didn't have clothes when he got back. He came home barefooted. He was eating the pig's food. And he had nobody to eat or drink with. It was a big total mess. It was all burned up. The the money that his daddy worked for was spent very quickly. But what happened when he got home? His daddy did what? He put clothes on him. And then some shoes. And then a ring on his finger. And then who was it that said, let's kill the fatted calf and be merry? Daddy. His daddy in this picture is God. Who has for us what we really need. While we wander off for things we think we need but evaporate along the way. So thinking through the word life, it kind of brings the picture together a little bit more. I am the bread of life. And that's the eternal type of life. The prodigal son left for material life, but then he gained eternal life. Look at verse 36 one more time. But I said to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. And that was tough to digest. But look what follows it because I think it qualifies what's there in verse 36. Verse 37. 
All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time on this next week. Because this is a theologically quite a sentence. Quite a claim. The first part of it, he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. If anybody comes to me is saved, it's because God, the Father, gave them to me. And we like to think, no, it's because I walked an aisle. No, it's because God gave you to His sons the reason why you walked that aisle. And you look at the verse and said, but you have seen me and do not believe. So he's telling the whole crowd there at that point, God hasn't given you to me. That's why this isn't working. And that even makes it worse. You almost think we're doomed if God hasn't given us to his son and we don't believe. We're stuck in material and when that's over, game over and eternal punishment. But then look at the other half of it. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. See, the scary thing about it being God's business, who's saved and who's not, you know, that it's his choice. We're so afraid that maybe we might be interested in God and we go knock on the door and we find out that nobody answers. Am I not chosen? God didn't choose me. That's an impossibility. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You say, well, that's circular reasoning. If you're coming, he's not casting out. What does that mean? That means God gave you to his son. But there's no risk in there. Folks, right here is the ingredients for the pastor in the pulpit to lean in on the audience and say, do you believe this? Do you know the difference between the two types of food and the two types of life? Are you spending your whole life in the material land? Are you going to miss eternity? It's all right here. But there's one word I didn't read in verse 36 that I want you to circle if you like marking in your Bibles. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Some of them would. They just hadn't yet. So which is it? Hmm? Do you believe? Is eternal food more important than lunchtime? And in this same verse, there's enough room for the preacher. Veins to pop out in his neck, making sure people get this before it's too late. But there's also a promise for the mother who's praying for that wayward child. That it might be that they haven't seen him yet. Keep praying. Because the father may choose to give him to his son. You pray hard. It's not over yet. But tomorrow's not promised. Verse 38. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will. But the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Why did God send Jesus to the earth? We're fixing to find out. That I should lose nothing of all that he's given me. So no one is lost. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father. He's saying it twice. That everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. Because he's the bread of life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Do you know what's wrapped up in that? I will raise him up on the last day. I don't know. 
None of us have been there. All we know is material, temporal. We have these things that we wear. And they click and they tick. And when the time has passed, it's gone. We live our whole lives with a clock and a schedule. We need to eat. We need to breathe. We're material. But there will be a last day for all that. And then there'll be eternity on the other side of it. And what Jesus is saying, very simplistically, is like, if you waste all of this material life on material stuff, before you ever think about the spiritual, it'll be too late for you when you get there. And thank the Lord that Jesus came to do the will of His Father and that the will of His Father was that some of us, hopefully all of us, are going to come to Him. And He will raise us up after this is over into the last day. Now I thought the way I would close today, because sometimes I can think that this gets kind of academic and it stretches our brains and it hurts for us to think. And it'll get worse before it gets better. Remember, tangled barrel of fish hooks. We're trying to untangle it and make sense. I brought my Narnia book. You know C.S. Lewis? Chronicles of Narnia? This one's got all seven in there. But at the end of this, in the last battle, what Lewis is telling us in a fiction story, which is an allegory of the things and truths we know in Scripture, he's talking about what happens when the old Narnia passes away and the new Narnia is built. Same as this earth will pass away, and the new heaven and the new earth will be there. And this is all make-believe. The characters in the story are experiencing being raised on the last day to see the new Narnia. And here's what he says. This is at the end of the next to the last chapter. The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life though I never knew it until now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. And then if you go all the way to the end, this is the very last paragraph of the whole series. And this is them listening to Aslan, the lion, who's the figure of Jesus, explaining to them some things before the story's over. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All of their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has ever read which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Don't work for the food that perishes, because the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the simplicity of your describing to us who you are. You are the bread of life. Eternal life. 
You're our eternal food. Lord, the only thing you said that we need to do is believe in you. So, Lord, may we believe you are who you said you are. And begin to build for us what will last in eternity instead of evaporate when this life is gone. Lord, save some today by the truth of your gospel. Perhaps if they've never heard it this way before, we thank you for your word. Teach us. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen.